Welcome, everybody, to episode two of Digesting Cinema with Aaron and Christina. I am, in case you couldn't tell, Aaron, and as always, here with my host, Christina. I'm Christina. Hi. Welcome to uh, week two. We've left the 60s and the funny girl, and um, we've approached the 1970s, the edge of the 70s in 1979, Kramer versus Kramer. But uh, before we hop into that. What has your uh, first week as a podcaster been like? How, how have you been? Oh, yeah. Just like instant celebrity. I think I'm up to like 62 followers on Twitter. So like obviously like everyone's obsessed with me now. Just I'm just so famous. I can't even handle life. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that will give the podcast credit for that, not the schmodown. Yeah. Um, so this week is going to be our first I can serve pure week of this podcast just because last week I kind of cheated, which is not great to do on the first week of the Letterbox Challenge. Um, I had seen Funny Girl, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, but it had been 20 plus years. And when I watched it, I watched it knowing it was my mom's favorite movie. So I didn't really watch it seriously. So I did consider last week my first viewing. But this week with Kramer versus Kramer, both of our first pure yep. viewings of this movie. So I'm excited to have that aspect here. Uh, anything else before we hop into a little, uh, I'm going to give a little brief synopsis and then try to do a little better job of that. Anything else before we hop into this movie that you wanted to cover from last week or feedback in general? No, I'm, I'm ex- this, I enjoyed this movie. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, me too. Me too. And, uh, yeah, we appreciate all the feedback as well. Aaron J Brooks, J A Y Brooks on Twitter or Christina V E E 19. Correct. Yep. On uh, Twitter, get at either one of us or the Featured Presentation Productions Twitter page with any suggestions, movies that you really want covered, or movies you'd like to come on here and talk about. A couple weeks, we'll be opening up this podcast to guests. But before that, let's get into 1979's Kramer versus Kramer. Basically, this is a little bit easier of a summary than last week. Basically, Ted Kramer, played by Dustin Hoffman, is informed that his wife, Meryl Streep, is leaving him. They have, a, I believe, a seven or eight-year-old son named Billy, played by Justin Houston, and outstandingly. And uh, then it's basically about Ted and Billy rediscovering kind of or discovering their connection relationship as a father and son. And then ends with a little bit of a courtroom drama, you could say. Um, this is listed as one of the top five best courtroom dramas of all time. It was number three, I think, when I checked. And uh, yeah, then ends with kind of a heartbreaking uh, decision, which is inevitable with a movie like this. But uh, yeah, we'll get into it more. That kind of cover a general little synopsis of it, would you say, Christina? Oh, yeah. And then just add on the amount of times I cried, the all of the tears. The tears were flowing in this movie. Yeah, so uh, absolutely. First thing, uh, well, I'll get out of the way. I brought up and mentioned this movie because I had heard the comparisons to Marriage Story. Right away, this or Marriage Story for you? I See, I don't really think they're that similar. The only part that I thought was similar was the courtroom. I, I would say this one, I liked, I enjoyed this one more because I really enjoyed the father-son angle and the story that that was throughout the movie. And I feel like Marriage Story really just focused on obviously their marriage and like their issues as a couple and not really focusing on the kid. 
And I just loved the relationship with his son and to see that grow over this entire movie, I think made this the superior movie. Yeah. I mean, I agree that there's definitely some very big similarities, relationships with the lawyer, especially. I think that obviously once you see these both Kramer versus Kramer is the more grounded of the two. Both are very emotional. Yes. Uh, one I think is just a little more dramatic by nature of the two characters in marriage story. Uh, Kramer versus Kramer for me. If you follow me on Twitter, I kind of spoiled it right afterwards. I am one of these people who's not going to say Kramer versus Kramer over marriage story. And it wasn't very close for me. I was really, really blown away by this movie. And I have a bad habit sometimes with these renowned movies. This is from 1979. It was nominated for eight Oscars. So it's this isn't exactly a sleeper hit. For some reason, when I see these classics, I think I've discovered them. And then I <laughs> tell everybody like, hey, Kramer versus Kramer is really good. Even my mom knew this. So first of all, my mom's two for two on the movies through the challenge. So don't expect that to last. But um, <laughs> my mom's not a big movie fan. But I just was uh, blown away. I mean, this did. This was the number one movie in the box office in 1979. So just, you know, like compared to the number one movie from 2019, which was, I think, Avengers Endgame, right? I assume. I mean, probably. Like, but... yeah, that was 2019, I think. So. It's like you just compare what drove people to the theaters in 1979. It's very different, but it's just like, okay, people did really used to see the quality first and end games also quality. So that's not the best example, but there's examples a year. It's a different kind of quality. The end game was the culmination of a a whole series of movies. You know, that, that was the appeal. And it was gigantic and it was like big, bright lights and well-established characters and everything. So I'm not taking anything. It's just, it was, it's really interesting that this was the number one movie. And then it did receive as much of acclaim. I dove in with a little bit of trivia. I was learning about this and the original director was actually Francis Truffaut, who I'm sure you don't know who that is, but he's like one of like the godfathers of French new wave cinema. So that oh, that's is, like your favorite thing. You yeah, love it is. It's just a completely different movie, though, from this directed by Robert Benton. So Robert Benton was not the first selection for director of this movie. He was like third or fourth. I mean, it got passed around this project by a few people. The leads that were originally being considered. I know John Voight was one of the leads that was being highly considered. And John Voight had a lot of really great roles um, coming home in the 70s, which is a Hal Ashby movie, which I think eventually we'll get to a Hal Ashby movie at some point on the challenge. But uh, director of one of my favorite movies, Harold and Maude, amongst many others. But yeah, John Voight used to be like a real legitimate actor before he turned into this like crazy old man actor that he is now, but like Midnight Cowboy, like so... John Voight, but these would have just been very different roles than Dustin Hoffman. And then for the role of Joanna Kramer, that was not originally going to be Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep originally was going to be just a much smaller role in this movie. They were looking at Diane Keaton, Susan Sarandon, not Barbara Streisand. I was waiting for oh, Barbara Streisand to be mentioned, but Barbara Streisand was not mentioned for this role. But And then eventually they settled on Meryl Streep. And the way Meryl Streep's character was originally portrayed in the movie was much more negatively as well. It's just kind of interesting how this movie all came 
to be. And then I'm pretty sure that Justin Henry, which I was saying Justin Houston, that is a football player. So I apologize for the errors of the first few times I said Justin Henry ended up playing Billy Kramer, ended up being nominated for Best Supporting Actor as an eight-year-old, which is still to this day the youngest nominee. Unfortunately, of the three of them, he was the one who didn't win his Oscar, though. So it's kind of interesting because I do feel Billy was the standout of this movie. Oh, absolutely. He stole the movie. If he wasn't as good as he was in this movie, it wouldn't have hit you in the feels as much as it did. Yeah, it just wouldn't wouldn't hold the test of time, I think, that it did. But I did really like this movie. I think that we both did. And I think that definitely Billy is the thing that makes this not just a good movie, but a great movie. Uh, uh, As well as Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep. It is kind of the perfect amalgamation of all the talent. Robert Benton never achieved heights like this in any of his other movies. This is uh, one of Dustin Hoffman's greatest roles and one of Meryl Streep's greatest roles as well. I mean, to say that about characters like this is pretty amazing. Quick question. Have you seen The Graduate? Uh, I have not, but I have seen Rumor Has It, which is like semi-adjacent to The Graduate. Yeah, Yeah. there are a lot of movies that The Graduate inspired. Maybe that's another movie we can touch on at some point. But the reason I ask that is because a lot of people do consider Kramer versus Kramer the like spiritual sequel to The Graduate of the character Dustin Hoffman had it from The Graduate. Growing up, getting into a marriage, and then kind of running into this. So it's kind of an interesting little extra take there. But yeah, what was your kind of overall standout of this movie? Other well, than yeah, I'm just gonna start at the beginning and yeah. kind of and kind of just work through it from there. So we uh, open up with Dustin Hoffman. He's in marketing or advertising, something along those lines. And he, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he's a workaholic, but I, you know, he has a job that's similar to mine. He has to work from home. He's, you know, has deadlines and. He has to bring work home and he's very busy and he's constantly trying to climb that ladder and obviously try to better. They're they're a young family. They have a, a young son. And so this is the time in your life where you're trying to pull that corporate ladder and he comes home just finding out that he's like about to get the promotion when Joanna just drops the bomb, like very casually, I'm leaving. Like, here's my credit card. Here's where you're picking up the dry cleaning. I brought $2,000 into the marriage. Like I'm going. And, you know, they have her exit. And I said out loud to my husband, like, this is my biggest fear because I'm married, but I don't have any children. And being a parent is one of those things that you have no idea if you're good at it or if it's for you until it happens. So... And it's a job that you can't just easily leave. It's, you know, you don't become a teacher. You don't become a doctor. You don't become a lawyer and be like, eh, I don't like this. I'll just become something else. Like this is a, you created a person. Um, So for her to leave, you know, I was just looking at this from a woman's point of view, from her to leave had to be so scary for her to give up her child, to not take him with her because she truly was in a place mentally and she didn't think that she could care for him anymore. And she knew that she was leaving him with his father. And I was just like, you know, that's like my biggest fear of like, if I have kids and then it's, I get to a point where I don't feel like I'm a good enough mom or I am able to continue to do this because I feel like there's just so many people that don't realize that they should have never been parents because you don't know until you are. So like you just open up the movie with like so much to unpack and we're like eight minutes in of like the woman left. Like you never see that. It's never the woman that leaves. Like how many movies are there where it's, oh, I'm the single mom and and the dad left and the baby daddy left me 
the husband left me and it's just like in the 70s they're bringing up the movie where the mom leaves like right away like you don't have any character development with this chick all you know is that she leaves and she's gone for like 50 minutes yeah she's gone for most of the movie when she is in the movie her impact is undoubtable but yes not it's a I think it's about 12 minutes altogether. Um, she pulls a Hannibal Lecter here where she basically, when she's on the screen, she commands it. But she's not on it a whole lot, but her presence is still definitely felt throughout the movie. Definitely the point about this being in the 70s and the woman leaving, that was unheard of, to encourage men to be a good parent at home, to learn how to make French toast without right. the crunch in it. Things like that are just things that were not commonplace like they are today. The other thing I really appreciate from the direction is that it didn't turn into a hit piece on this woman where it was like oh my god she's left her son and her husband and like it it didn't take sides this was like a real like real divorce here where there aren't sides to take it's just how each person's just bringing what they have and their issues to the table here and you're just observing it almost as a fly on the wall in a lot of situations in this movie you know it's one of the things i love about a lot of 70s movies is that a lot of times what you're watching is an exact that remarkable yet how it's being filmed how you're able to be a viewer in the story is really remarkable so like kind of move forward after the divorce to one of my favorite scenes in the movie it's got to be the french toast scene it is just uh it is so sweet it is so heartfelt he dustin hoffman will do anything to make sure his kid is happy including learn on the fly how to make french toast in like a coffee cup where he's just like (laughs) trying to keep his son involved cracking the eggs and things like this but it's like i didn't know how to crack an egg till i was like 16 like you know how it is an eight-year-old like so yeah i just thought this scene immediately brought me into how this movie was going to be throughout and uh it just felt incredibly organic and uh heartfelt in this scene in particular well, yeah because he's he's flustered you know yeah. it's day one mom leaves you see now you have to explain this to your child and i think he was actually younger than eight i think he was five because i thought they said in court that he had just he had turned six or seven he was actually eight when he was, six. was yeah but i'm sure yeah. he's playing a younger right right but like the character's five you know and it's like hey bud like let's our whole world just crashed and you know dustin hoffman's broken because his wife just left him but he can't show that because he's a five-year-old and it's like all right let's i'm gonna pretend like i know what i'm doing but like five-year-olds don't know that you don't know what you're doing like he was just like okay cool like i'm gonna help you make french toast and it was like you started to see the the paternal instinct immediately just kick in which is probably one of the things meryl streep's character didn't like about him and it, yeah. you know, you could think that like that was probably part of her reasoning of just like you know you're too into your work and you don't pay enough attention to the marriage or the child and I have to do everything because you know she wasn't working she was a stay at home mom and you know he's proving that he can step up and be the dad and be a pretty damn good one. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's just there's not a lot of huge scenes in this movie. I mean, it's just uh, it's a it's a down to earth real life kind of right. approach to this, and I just thought that right away. Yeah, just really, really, you know, worked. But, you know, it's also just the inevitability that for this kid, eventually the missing of the maternal love, the mother's love, the two parents love was going to play a factor. Uh, And when it does, that's when I felt like Justin Henry just brought his characters. I mean, really, he just was not. Uh, holding this movie back as a eight-year-old actor amongst these. Oh, absolutely not. It's just like, I don't know how they got this performance out of him, but yeah, it's just when, you know, he's talking. You want to fast forward to the ice cream? 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, go is ahead. That, is, that, is that where you're going with this? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you can go ahead. Take well, yeah, a because I feel like up until that, you kind of start seeing that they're getting a flow. You know, Dustin Hoffman's picking them up from parties a little bit late, but like they're still kind of hanging in there. Yeah. And then they're having dinner. And yep. Billy's like, I don't like this dinner. And he's like, you ate it like three nights ago and loved it. And then Billy pulls the like, well, I'm just going to get ice cream. And you can tell Dustin Hoffman's like, well, I don't know how to parent this. Because he's like, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm not going to tell you again, but don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Right. And then he like starts eating the ice cream and Dustin Hoffman scoops him up and like brings him into his room. And I feel like a lot of times when you have ch like child actors, those scenes are like so dramatic, like over the top. Like you, I mean, they're children, they don't understand. And I feel like that's the part where it broke me because you knew that whole part of him acting out was that he just wanted his mommy. Yeah, exactly. And, and then when he like cried that I was like, well, I guess we're like 35 minutes in and I already cried. So that's how many times is Christina crying during this movie? <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, that this broke me as well. And it was just, I think also at the same point, Ted was learning how to cope without right. partner. And it's just right. like, that is one of the aspects of this movie that affected me more than I was expecting. Uh, I grew up for most of my life in a single parent household, uh, not due to divorce, but due to terminal illness taking my father at a young age. But uh, yeah, there were these moments that I didn't even kind of think about for my mom probably growing up where I was talking about how I wanted my dad there and how it wasn't, or she wasn't enough. And she was probably feeling that exact same way at the same moments for totally different reasons. It's just like, as a kid in Billy's situation, I was not thinking about my mom's being there for my mom more than just being a little kid, you know? Right. So it's just, uh, that was the part of this that I think really affected me the most watching this movie was seeing this single parent who didn't seem to really know how to parent when he had the two parent household now have to learn how to be both almost parents. And I just think for 1979, even today, if that was being dealt with, you just don't see a lot of movies like this. And I'm just, right. I kind of wish there was more movies like this. There's a lot of courtroom dramas, a lot of divorce movies, a lot of, one parent leaving the household, but just not quite done in this fashion. Right. So. Because your, your whole life, you ha relate to the Billy character of missing the one parent. And then now as you're a grown man, yeah. you're, you're seeing it from the parent perspective, exactly. which I mean, you're never going to see that as the kid because you're, you're young. Like we don't even like, you know, your brain literally isn't developed enough to like understand an adult perspective. Mm -hmm. But like, I feel like they, captured that dynamic as a viewer so again as someone that's never seen this i'm 32 years old i'm not i'm i don't have children but i am married but you're still getting the empathy on both characters you're seeing how the child is struggling you're seeing how the dad is struggling um at the same time and i don't and i think it's very well balanced i don't think they focused too much into billy i don't think they ignored him i think they really hit the nail on the head and just perfectly balanced them navigating this and just dealing with their hurt and realizing that like you know he acted out not because he was just being a brat because he was hurt. And I, and I, and obviously that's the, the turning point in their relationship of Dustin Hoff stepping up and basically becoming super dad. Yeah. You're talking about with the, at the park, are you talking about when he gets hurt or? Well, that, well, well, this scene where Billy's crying and says like, I just want my mom. Oh, yeah. And then the next day Billy wakes up and apologizes. And then mm -hmm. that to me, is the turning point for the rest of the movie of like them really starting to get into their groove and they're clicking. And then it brings us to that park scene which yep. is just like, 
Yeah, in the park scene, just before we get into that, I really found Ted's relationship with his neighbor Margaret to be fascinating. Oh my god, I loved it. I mean, it's like a fellow single parent, also a person who played a huge role in Joanna leaving. Right. As being Kurt. I mean, it's just what a interesting kind of relationship between these two, and such a healthy relationship for I think Ted to first of all have a real life example of somebody doing what he is viewing as impossible and then yeah um obviously when we get to the park Billy falls off the what is it jungle gym basically. yeah or just some climbing thing yeah and he and he cuts himself and Ted obviously sprints right into action you know sprints like several blocks through like traffic <laughs> he, he hauls ass i mean this is when dads really do not to, this is when dads really know how to what to do it's like yeah dads know how to dad. yeah and so he's like in his element completely here and yeah it just it shows a perfect you know example of that emotional connection again and sense of responsibility and sense of duty coming to and if i watch this on a rewatch these are going to be absolutely heartbreaking scenes to watch mm -hmm. because of where it heads is there anything else you want to cover before we get to the courtroom i i do i do want to say one more thing another thing yeah, that sure. i thought was um was interesting especially yeah. because again this movie is so different in the sense that we're focusing on the man and now you're focusing on the working single dad and you're seeing like how hard of a time he's having with work um, and staying up to date and you know they're really riding him and it's just like how many times is that the woman I mean even not in movies in real life where it's as the woman you're the person that has to choose between raising your family and your career so it was like so interesting also to see you know a dad going through that and the company just like kind of giving no shits like no. there was there wasn't you know there wasn't sympathy for his situation much longer um which i just thought it was just interesting that they kept including that in there that that's just another mm -hmm. dynamic to put on top of this it's a huge factor in the court's decision at the end of the movie right i mean they literally ask about his salary which was by the way i think twenty eight thousand two hundred dollars back in 1979 right. but still I mean, we can let's double that. Maybe, maybe he was making sixty thousand dollars. Not a great right. salary, especially um, you know when you're trying to get custody in a major city. I imagine was this New York? Am I just blanking here? I'm, I'm like pretty sure it's New York. Okay, we'll yeah. just pretend it's New York. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, his career does suffer during this time as a result of him taking care of his kid and his marriage being on the rocks, but. You don't really see a moment where Ted is blaming that, blaming the son, blaming the wife, like even angry about it. He realizes this is what he wants and he's committed to it right. by this point, which, you know, again, like heartbreaking stuff when you know the results at the end of the movie after the court proceedings. So, you know, and it is New York. Um, I apologize. Joanna comes back after 15 months. Yes. First of all, I was surprised. I didn't know anything about this movie. Right. Uh, so I didn't know that Meryl Streep's character left the family to start the movie. I had no idea Meryl Streep ever played a character like that, where she wanted to finally have a career and really never wanted to be a mother and was realizing it. And like, that's a really brave role for her to take. And I think she took it great. And But yeah, she comes back after 15 months and she's here to get Billy. Right. She like, drops that. First of all, because I don't even think they really tell you how long it's been. And then when you yeah. sit at, the, at that restaurant, you realize that it's been 15 months and you're like, oh my God, this woman peaced out 
she I mean she sends her kid cards but like just up it for 15 months and i believe if you we find out that she moved clear across the country it's not yeah. even like she left and like stayed locally she like up and pieced out to california and now it's just like okay i'm back now so like i'll take my kid yeah and so we're in the custody hearing and this is where the marriage story comparisons make yes. a lot of sense the character assassinations start the lawyers basically are like this is how divorce goes i remember when uh, marriage story came out last year a lot of people of our generation really didn't know how divorce went unless they had been part of it or knew someone who did right. like didn't know this is how it went and like i remember just a lot of my friends at least amongst my circle being like this movie really taught me how terrifying divorce is kramer versus kramer did it first <laughs> And it did right. in 1979 before the divorce rate was 50%. I should have looked this up, but I don't know what the divorce rate was in 1979, but it was much lower than it is today. I can say that much. So yeah, it was like they had this reality once they got into this custody battle that it was like they're now fighting for their kid and going to have to take each other down as a result to get him. I mean, this is like, I'm not married, but I can't imagine a person being with a person making a person and then going to court to decide who gets that person and and, and having to to fight dirty in order to do it yeah having to bring up the deepest darkest kind of discussions about each other's character right. that was never going to leave the two of you that now it's like you can't be nice here you can you will lose right. like you will lose um and that it's just i mean these are this is i think where marriage story clearly got some influence with yes. the Laura Dern character, the Ray Liotta character, the two characters being like, no, no, I want this to be, there are no nice divorces. Right. There just aren't. So yeah, this, that I just thought that seeing the realizations on the characters faces here, Ted is the one who we'd emotionally connected with more so in this movie. So he was who I felt a little more of the focus was with regards to the emotions initially, at least. Oh yeah. We were all team Ted. I mean, so, I mean, from the viewer's point of view, you're like, yeah, this bitch just comes back. Doesn't even want joint custody. She wants to just straight up take her kid. Like you weren't here. You abandoned them. I mean, that's straight up abandonment or I, maybe it's the legal term desertion, but like, that's what happened. And now you're not even considering sharing him. You just want him. Yeah. I was like, I was like, oh hell no. I was like, this chick sucks. Yeah. And then you go through this divorce proceeding and things like Ted losing his job because of his commitment to his son and taking a lower paying job. These things are now used against him in the court proceedings, used against him and used as reasons for him not to keep Billy. Right. I had a super problem with this. Like, I was just like, I hate when the law does not stand on the side of who was right here, in my opinion. I feel Ted was in the right here. I feel Ted made as many right decisions as he could in this situation. And so I feel like things like when they ask him why his salary is so low and things like that, it's just like, they're also right, though, because he has to be able to take care of his kid. And right. It's just like what's right and what's right aren't always the same things in the court of law. And I know that may sound really dumb, but I just mean that from the point of view of what's right morally as opposed to what's right functionally. Well, they she's the witness first, right? Yes. Okay. So again, we, we don't know much about her character. So, so far we know she was overwhelmed and left. We know she came back 15 months later and we know that she wants her kid. And at this at this point, up until her taking the stand, that's essentially her character development. 
So once she's on the stand, she now explains the entire situation. It touches on mental health. It touches on her once as just a grown woman outside of being a mom. And now in like, I don't know, two minutes of her talking, you get the full complete circle of she just mentally was not in a place where she could mother, could be a wife, could stay here. And in her mind, she felt like she would do more harm than good if she stayed. And it gives you the whole thing of, you know, she found a career she really enjoys and really came into her own and sought therapy and is working through her issues and took the time to get healthy enough to do this. And I remember saying out loud, like, well, then like, why haven't you been communicating this for the past 15 months? Like that to me seems like a pretty large deal of you wanting your kid back of the fact that you actually have been taking time this whole time to work on yourself to get him back. Yeah, I agree. Even in the 70s, still phones existed, still writing existed. There's still ways to keep in contact for 15 months for sure. But there's this over-looming cloud of an assumption made throughout this movie, which is that mothers know best. But it's just the way that it's handled with Robert Benton's direction here, I feel it is so important because of how this doesn't come across as anti-woman movie. There is an, there's this, the cloud of assumption over this movie, over this period of time even, which is that women are better parents than men the mother knows best. I mean, it's ingrained into the legal system, right down to the decision, which- well, Before the decision. Okay, yeah. Ducks and Hoffman's testimony is the best part of the movie. Okay, that's your highlight. I already said mine, so go ahead. This is your highlight. I mean, in his whole speech that he gives, you know, can a father not love a son just as much as a mother? You know, where you, and again, not in a way that's attacking women, just in general, like bringing it to light because it's always been that it's the mom, but like our father's incapable of stepping up, our father's incapable of providing that love. And to me, that was just like so heartbreaking because you could tell how, you could tell he knew it wasn't going to go his way and that he was so broken because he really, he knew he had already stepped up. He didn't want his son to have to go through this again. And he just, you know, was trying to prove his point of like, I love my kid and I did the right thing and I stepped up and I'm a good parent and I should be able to have him. Yeah. And he only knows that he'd never leave his son. He doesn't right. know if Joanna would leave his son. And if they're in this situation again, what will happen? And he's already given up so much. And the other thing that's really interesting, I forgot to bring up early is that Dustin Hoffman himself was going through a divorce during this movie. So it's just like, talk about channeling some real emotions here. Uh, also, unfortunately, Dustin Hoffman was not really, didn't really have the best reputation on set for this movie. Um, was pretty combative a lot of times and pretty aggressive. So um, as great as his character was, he wasn't exactly the greatest character on set, according to a lot of reports. And Meryl Streep took such an ownership over her character that she avoided her character being in a lot of ways how we were praising this movie for it not being so. Well, Robert Benton, the director, did a great job. I think that this is a movie where the performers really took control of their performances. And then Justin Henry just, I think, is a was a natural wow. in this movie. Absolutely. Um, I don't think he really did anything else after this, but he didn't need to. I don't know who won Best Supporting Actor, but I wish he would have. Yeah, I mean, the inevitability um, does come over Dustin Hoffman during these proceedings. He just realizes, like, these last 15 months and everything he'd put into it was going to result in 
what was I think one weekend a month or something. I think I it was like yeah, it was once a week and then maybe like two weekends a month. Two weekends a month, once a week, which is absolutely nothing. Right. And you know, it's just uh yeah, and the court makes the decision based largely on not on the fact of the evidence presented, but on the fact that or on the assumption that the mother is who the child should be with. And this mm. is how these proceedings go. The mother gets the child, father pays alimony, makes visitations, that's it. So that we get the result here. Joanna is granted basically full custody or nearly full custody here. We get one more scene between Ted and Billy because three times was not enough tears. Four is truly what makes a great tearjerker. And I would consider this a tearjerker. And and I don't mean that negatively. Of course, they make French toast. And they are a well-oiled machine this time. Yeah, it is a perfect operation. No crunch to that French toast, which if you don't remember or haven't seen when there's eggshell in the French toast, Dustin Hoffman says, it's just a little crunch. Yeah. Uh, like, it's just a perfect dad joke. He's got the dad jokes down from the beginning. And they silently made the French toast. So in the beginning, it was, hey, let's get really hyped up. And this mm-hmm. is how you do it. And by that point, I think yes. between just them having their established relationship and Billy being sad, they just silently I mean, it's it. not, yeah, it's a, yeah, it feels like the last supper or last meal right. for them in a lot of ways. And I didn't have two parents growing up, but uh, it's like I know a lot of my friends would have their favorite parent, and it wasn't like usually very close. It's either a mama's boy or you know daddy's girl or what or vice versa. But like it seems most people had a favorite parent, just like most parents have a favorite kid. I was a oh favorite kid in my family, uh, and if I'm you don't, a favorite think, in mine. Okay, I was about to say if you don't think or know who the favorite was, that means that you weren't. Uh, that's all that means. So it's good that you said that. Yeah, I mean, this movie has just achieved so much in an hour and a half. Right. It's Yeah, it's a short movie. Yeah, this isn't two and a half hours. This movie has moments of heartbreak, moments of levity, moments of comedy, but it is essentially, this is one type of movie. This isn't like last week where we had kind of two movies jammed into one that caused it to be a two and a half hour extravaganza here. And then, you know, the end of the movie, really, really strong. Billy, you know, and Ted, you know, say goodbye. Oh, he's just so heartbreaking because he doesn't want to go. Like yeah. he, he just doesn't want to. Yeah, and I I can't help but be pessimistic as to what this results in. Oh, um, you know, one thing we forgot to mention was that it was it was on the table to put Billy on the stand. If he really wanted to go there, he could have used that ploy to have Billy say where he wanted to go, and he decided not to to spare yeah. him that trauma. And uh, you know, and it was probably a mistake. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, but yeah, I think it was probably a mistake. But again, you could probably say it was a mistake for him to screw his career over or a lot of these other things. Like at the end of the day, he did the right thing. I right. think it just wasn't the right thing to win a court proceeding in custody. It was the right thing in the scheme of things in life, though. Anything else um, that you want to cover before we kind of get into our rating and then get into a little bit of discussion as to what? Well, let's just go on how it actually ends. So sure. we're here and it's the day that Billy's supposed to leave. And I'm crying because Billy's crying. And this every time this kid cried, I cried. <laughs> and Meryl Streep rings and asks for Ted, or I guess Joanna, and asks for Ted to come downstairs alone. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. finally we get the resolution that we want. She realizes that 
she wanted to take him home, but he had been home all along and that she's not going to do the full custody and that Ted can keep Billy and they'll work out visitation, but she didn't want to traumatize him again by making him leave his safe home with the clouds on the walls that she had painted. And I was like, I literally was like, thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because if she really would have gotten up, I'm like, oh, but so that's how it ends. And then I was like, all is right in the world. Yeah. And she sucks. That's yeah. I mean, yeah. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely team Ted. I do oh, think, yeah. I do think this movie tried to keep this as unbiased as possible, but I do think there is a little bit of, a more objectively wrong side from what we were presented in the movie. We don't know how the relationship was before the movie started. We don't know how Ted was before this started. Um, I think clearly Ted's arc, he had a lot of growth. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. has the classic, you know, you look marvelous at the end or you look incredible at the end. They kind of have that connection. The love lost is fully confirmed yet still, they're able to reminisce on it for a moment there and be in that spot where they remember when they loved each other and when they really thought about each other all the time. So yeah, great movie. Uh, I can't wait to rewatch this. I think it's going to be a heartbreaking in a whole different way on a rewatch, but yeah. So I will go with my rating first. As I, said, cause I think I went first last week. So you have yeah. to go first this week. Yeah, I'll go first this week. I, I ended up rating funny girl at a four out of five. Um, I do think this is a better movie than Funny Girl. I think this is approaching, it's not gonna be a five out of five for me, but it's really, really close. Uh, it's a 4.5 out of five stars for me. So I do think this is nearly uh, all time classic. It's just uh, has a couple aspects to me that felt a little bit unrealistic, unbelievable. And just in a movie that was so grounded and so kind of believable the points that weren't for me just stuck out a little bit um and kept this from fully fully being that certified five-star classic but really close four out of five four point five out of five stars loved it so in a shocking turn of events i also rated it to 4.5 out of five and oh, i no. don't know why we're agreeing because i thought the whole purpose of this show is that we weren't supposed to agree on things and hopefully we get there soon <laughs> Yeah, no, I think my reasoning was just, to me, five is perfect. Mm -hmm. And as uh, as incredible as this movie is, it just wasn't perfect. And there's not very many movies that are. Mm -hmm. So I would think to give something five stars means that it is like one of the most incredible pieces of, uh, you know, art you've ever seen. So yeah. that, that's basically my my reasoning for that. But it's, uh, the, this hits so many points. The performances were fantastic. And yeah, this is a, a wonderful, wonderful movie. And I hope everybody that's listening right now enjoyed watching it with us. Yeah, this is just a movie that I had always just kind of glossed over and assumed like, okay, like, like I know like the basics of it. It's like a divorce movie. Couldn't have aged well, like a 1970s divorce movie. It's probably very sexist. Um, right. it, it's like, it's probably like got very, very melodramatic scenes. The kid probably like throws his dinner off the table, like in like, yeah, you don't, I'm my mom. Like, right. Just, like over dramatic, like yeah, kind of takes you out of it. Yeah, I'm like, you know, this is probably one of those, like, best picture winners that, like, was fine, but, like, probably wasn't that great. Uh, I'm glad I watched this 
and I couldn't have been more really off about it. I'm glad now I know the name Justin Henry, not Justin Houston, who unfortunately, a very, very different movie if Justin Houston played this role. But yeah, and we agree again, and I'm uh, I'm interested to see when we disagree on a movie, because that's going to be a I'm thinking very- it'll probably be next week. It could be. It could be, but I'm going to kind of learn not to have these assumptions I've been having lately, too. So maybe I realize why this is a classic. This is, this next week is the 1980s. Um, the decade we were born. Yep. We're both 80s babies. Uh, me, barely. But I'm still, you know, you much more comfortably by a whole year. By a um, whole year. <laughs> so... Usually what we would do at this point last week, we both brought three to the table. We'd either bring three to the table or as we get suggestions from people, we'll do that. If we have a guest, we'll bring up that. This one we both mutually agreed on, I think kind of pretty quickly before like the podcast even really started or maybe very quickly after it started. Um, We're going with 1986's Tony Scott's classic Top Gun starring Tom Cruise, starring... uh, you know, Val, someone Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. I forgot the female lead, but I'll remember for next week. Starring Take My Breath Away, starring Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone, starring Fighter Jets, starring Volleyball. Oh, man. I haven't seen this movie. You haven't seen this movie. I've never seen this movie. I'm very excited to find out if I'm going to like this movie or not. Um, going into it, I'm not expecting I will, but I'm expecting I'm going to have a lot to say about this movie. Oh, uh, yeah. And if I do like it, I'm not going to have any problem saying I was wrong. But yeah, Top Gun is next week. I think this will be one that a lot of our listeners maybe have heard before. So it'll be a good fun revisit for you or to hear two people who've never seen the movie don't really know much about it. I just know what I Love the 80s has told me about it from VH1. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to understand all the Meet the Parents references when they were playing pool volleyball. Well, yes, there is a there's a volleyball scene that is one of my favorite comedic scenes ever in a movie theater when that happens also, when she gets hit with the volleyball. Yes. But we're not talking Meet the Parents next week, unfortunately, because that was not a 1980s movie, but we're talking Top Gun. So um, following that will be the 90s. So you can feel free to, again, tweet to Aaron J.A.Y. Brooks or Christina V.E.E. 19 on Twitter. If you have any suggestions, also on Facebook featured presentation production group. Uh, or on Twitter. Um, We're available at all those places for suggestions for the 90s, but we'll figure that out as we go. But next week is Top Gun. Anything else, uh, Christina, that uh, you need to sign off on or plug with regards to like, I know you're doing other podcasts right now for other Schmodown stuff. So plug away, girl. Um, Well, I guess by the time this airs, I would have already been on it, but I will be on a certain point of view uh, for the Schmodown uh, later today. So that's exciting, you know, and just PSA everyone, you know, be nice to other humans and wear your mask and wash your hands. And we're still in a pandemic and please remember that. And uh, yeah, just be kind to each other. Yeah, this was a, this was a pleasure. Um, this has been a hard week for both of us. And uh, I think we've realized that we now have something to look forward to every Sunday here with uh, this podcast. Definitely raised my spirits. So I appreciate you as well as the listeners uh, for making this possible. Um, and I have exciting news. I figured out the tagline to end the show. You ready for it? I am ready for it. All right, everybody. Have a great night. Have a great week. Have a great rest of your weekend and keep digesting cinema. Crazy. I know. <laughs>